Welcome to Donnacloney Parish Podcast. If you want to know more information about the parish, how to support us, or for other social media, please go to www.donnacloneyparish.co.uk. Thank you. Good morning to everyone watching online. You're so welcome, whether you're a parishioner or not, to join with us in our worship this morning as we open God's Word and sing together and pray and encourage one another to keep following Jesus until the day he returns in all his glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, so to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. We praise and thank you that you're a God of compassion and love. We thank you you've shown us what that looks like in the sending of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And so this morning we pray that we would not only see Jesus, but that we would feel his love in a deep way this morning as we look at him. And in looking at his love, we would respond in kind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start by asking a small question. It should be up on your screens. How much do you love Jesus? A little or a lot? Because that's the question that this passage raises for us this morning. How much do you, how much do I love Jesus? Now, that might make us feel a little bit uneasy asking questions like that because we don't want church life to turn into a kind of unhealthy competition of who loves Jesus the most. But it's pretty clear that love for Jesus, it varies, doesn't it? Because some people don't love Jesus at all. In fact, uh, the only time they use the word Jesus is as a swear word. Other will, other people will love Jesus just a little bit uh, when it suits them. So, for example, uh, when I was a teenager and I used to go into my exams, my prayer life would go through the roof, although sadly, I didn't even know who I was praying to. But clearly, there are others who love Jesus a lot. They'll do extravagant things for him, like this woman that we're going to meet here, this sinful woman. And for those of us who call ourselves Christians, I guess we have seen in our lives there'll be times where we've loved Jesus a lot, and there'll be times where we've seen Jesus, uh, our love for Jesus, quite small. And we can see that in verse 47 here, that there are those who love much and those who love little. And as I read that verse, and as we read that verse, I wonder, where do we fit in? Do we love Jesus a lot or do we love him a little? But maybe that question makes us feel uneasy for another reason. I mean, surely what matters most is how much Jesus loves us. And of course, the answer is he does love us. Mercifully, sacrificially, with all he is and has. And we've seen in our series that Jesus loves us with a supernatural love, with a divine love. His compassionate heart, as we looked at last week, is magnetically drawn to pain and to suffering. 
And this whole gospel of Luke and Mark and Matthew and John, the, the major focus of them is the greatest love that any human has ever seen, the cross. So what saves us is not our love for him, but his love for us. We can see that even this morning. Look at verse 50, where Jesus says to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Not your love for me has saved you. No, your faith in me has saved you. It's his love, Jesus' love, that is the most important, not our love. But the right response to his love is to respond in love. But here's the thing. We can love Jesus a lot or a little. And so we could just be like the Pharisee that we meet here. This guy we call Simon. Can you see he's a respectable, respectable teacher? He's a Pharisee. He knows the Jewish law inside and out. And he clearly wants to know Jesus more, so he brings Jesus closer. He, he brings him to a meal. He asks Jesus to come to dinner. But when Jesus comes to dinner, when he comes into his home, it's hardly a warm welcome. So you can see in the picture on your screen, by contrast, verse 37, this woman who gate crashes the dinner party. We don't get her name, but we do know that she's a sinner, a well-known sinner, verse 37. Some people have guessed that she's a prostitute. Uh, but what is really surprising that throughout this dinner party, this unnamed woman says nothing, not a word. But her actions speak all the words that we need to hear because her action shows us that she loves Jesus a lot. Look at the end of verse 37. She comes in with an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stands behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. And she began to wet his feet with tears. We then read she does something that, for most Middle Eastern cultures, is quite shocking. She lets down her hair. And she uses her hair as a towel to wipe Jesus' feet. And then she kisses his feet and pours perfume on them. Well, Simon and the other guests nearly choke on their red wine as they see this. Verse 39, if she is a prostitute, think about that for a little second. This is far too sensual. This sinful woman letting down her hair, kissing Jesus. Doesn't he know who she is and what she does? Jesus knows her heart full well, as he knows ours. And far from telling her to stop, he says she's doing something right. He commands her. Look at verse 44. He says, as he turns towards the woman and says this time, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with my hair. her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell, tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. How much do they love Jesus? Well, Simon, as we see, loves a little. But this unnamed sinful woman loves a lot. 
And the key to understanding the difference is to understand cancel culture. The cancel culture in our world today, especially in the West, is something different than Jesus' cancel culture. Because in our culture, what happens is we, we love to cancel out those things that we disagree with. Public figures, companies, if they've been caught up in things like slavery or whatever, uh, for right or for wrong, they get cancelled out. After people have said something or done some, something uh, considered offensive or not PC or issue sensitive by some, there's a Facebook or a Twitter to read. I don't know if you know J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter books, and uh, lately under his pseudonym, uh, Robert Galbraith, the strike novels, Corman Strike. Well, she put in a tweet last summer that got her into a, a whole pile of bother. You'd think she said something radical, something horrendous. But her tweet, all it was saying was that men are men and women are women. Here's her tweet. She says, if sex isn't real, there's no same-sex attraction. If sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. She says, I know and love trans people, but erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of any meaning, many meaningful way of discussing their lives. It isn't hate, hate to speak the truth. So she was saying, you know, trans people are men or women. They can't float between the two. And for those comments... Those people that she'd given job as actors and created their livelihoods, they disowned her. Schools that had named dining rooms and halls and blocks of their schools after J.K. Rowling, the celebrated author, this author of Harry Potter, well, all their names were changed. She was cancelled out. We've seen it too with those pushing statues into rivers or having colleges and universities renamed. As soon as something doesn't fit with a new cultural norm, it's cancelled out. And actually, I truly believe that's where we Christians are headed. We say something that society doesn't agree with, and we're going to get cancelled out. But Jesus cancelled cult cancel culture. I'm just wearing these teeth in for a horse. Uh, these Jesus cancel culture couldn't be more different. You see in verses 41 to 42, Jesus tells Simon, this Pharisee, a parable. He says, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. It's about two years wages. And the other 50, which is about a two months wages. Neither of them had the money to pay back. So what does the money lender do? Does he go in with the heavies? Does he beat them up? Does he raise the interest to some incredible amount, like a, a 3,000% uh, of interest? No, look at verse 42. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Friends, here is the scandal of Jesus' cancel, cancer, cancel culture. He doesn't cancel us. No, when we come to him, he cancels the things that we have done wrong. 
He wipes away the spiritual debt that we are in, even when that debt is huge. And he can forgive us all our sins because on the cross, he canceled the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. I wonder, have you seen that? I wonder better still, have you experienced that? I wonder this morning, do you feel that? That Jesus hasn't come or didn't come to cancel you. His cancel culture is the complete opposite of our cancel culture. In ours, you put a foot wrong and you're wiped out. Despised, hated. But with Jesus, you put a foot wrong and you can be wonderfully forgiven, loved, restored, brought into God's family. So then comes the question. And when Jesus asks the question, it can be a frightening place to be because you really want to run behind the sofa and hide when Jesus is asking questions. Do you see it there at the end of verse 42? Now, which of them will love him more? Which then will love him more? The one that had the 500 denarii cancelled or the one that had the 50 denarii cancelled? And Simon replies, well, I, I suppose the one with a bigger debt. You judge correctly, Jesus said. And then Jesus shows Simon how this woman has loved lots and he has loved little. Because actions show how big they think their spiritual debt really is. Now we need to, be, need to be really careful here because Jesus is not saying to Simon, you've only a few sins forgiven, so it's really okay for you to love me a little bit. But this woman is a serious, serious, serious sinner, so she loves me more. No, Jesus is saying, Simon, your actions are revealing. Your actions show me that you think you haven't got much to forgive and so you don't love me very much. And here's the punch to the solar plexus. Look at verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved me much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. He or she who's been forgiven little loves little. And again, we could get the wrong end of the stick here. That because this woman has loved Jesus, he's forgiven her. No. What we need to understand is that it seems that this woman has encountered Jesus before we meet her in, in Luke 7. She's heard the gospel of forgiveness and freedom. She knows that Jesus has come for sinners like her. She knows he is a heart for sinners and suffers, and she's received his forgiveness. And now she comes in love and gratitude. And her love is not the cause of forgiveness, it's the fruit of her forgiveness. Because please never think that her love for Jesus somehow wins her forgiveness or earns her forgiveness. No, it proves that she's been forgiven. This woman 
sees the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. But Simon doesn't get it at all. And so she pours out her love to Jesus. And I wonder this morning, which one of these two do you identify with? If I'm being honest, I identify with both. You see, Simon's big issue here as he throws the party is respectability. It's being well thought of. It's, it's showing himself as being smart. He cares about what others think of him. And so like me, he's too interested in people's opinions. Like me, he loves to compare himself with others. And he thinks, oh, I'm not that big a sinner. In fact, compared to this sinful woman, this notorious woman, I'm actually quite decent. And that's why he loves Jesus a little, if actually at all. And actually, if we keep comparing ourselves to others, if we do that spiritual game where we pick out someone dastardly sinner or some horrendous sinner and we say, well, I'm better than them, and maybe we think there's somebody more holier than us, and we say, well, I'm not as good as them, but at least I'm better than them, we'll not see the size of our spiritual debt. So we'll not love Jesus. When we come to Jesus, who's holy, holy, holy as Isaiah 6 tells us, we will see how sinful we are. Do you remember that illustration we used of Mount Everest and the, the Mariana Trench? Well, Simon might think he's the top of Mount Everest uh, and he might look down at this woman and think that she's at the very bottom, uh, 20 odd miles down in the bottom of Mariana Trench. Do you remember the question we asked about that illustration, which one of them could touch the stars? And the thing is, when you and I follow Simon, we'll always be tempted to play it safe. Not be too enthusiastic about our Christianity. Just settle for a comfortable, respectable faith. Professor J.I. Packer, you might have heard of him, one of the greatest scholars of the Anglican world. He, he died just last summer at the age of 93. Uh, and if you haven't read his book, Knowing God, go out and get it. Phenomenal. Get the little study guide, the book with the study guide that, that, that oh, wonderful. And as I was packing my books away, it, it was one of the books that I was putting into the boxes, uh, I flicked it open. And it came upon these words, and can I say to you, as I say to myself, I need to hear them over and over and over again. Here's the words. They should be on the screen. He says, nor is it the spirit of those Christians, alas, there are many, whose ambition in life seems limited to building a nice middle-class Christian home and making nice middle-class Christian friends and bringing up their children in nice middle-class Christian ways and to leave the sub-middle-class sections of the community, Christian and non-Christian, to get on by themselves. The Christmas spirit does not shine out in the Christian snob, for the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, 
spending and being spent to enrich their fellow men, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to others, and not just their own friends in whatever way there seems need. See what Packer's saying there? He's saying, don't be like Simon. Who loves a little, who is a middle-class faith, who cares more for what other people think than for what God thinks of him. Don't be like this woman. All out for Jesus. And there are times when I have been and I am all out for Jesus. Because I remember he is all out for me. There are times when I say, yes, Lord, I will go anywhere. I will do anything because you have done that for me. You have come from the glory of heaven to be born in human flesh, to die on the cross for me. So how can I be less like Simon and more like this woman? Well, it's hopefully we've been seeing as we've been looking through this study in Luke's gospel through these weeks. The key is to see how much we are loved. To see our spiritual debt is far greater than we ever imagined. So that we see that the cancelling of that debt is greater than we ever imagined. We fall on our knees. We say to God the Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you. Thank you. What I need to look at over and over and over again is the grace of God for sinners like me. What I need to look at is Christ's heart for sinners and sufferers. That is what I need. So ask yourself, do you see your spiritual debt? And if we feel this morning that that is not big, we need to let the sun in. You know, as we move wardrobes and cupboards, let me tell you, there's tons of dust. Tons of it. The sun has seen places over the last few weeks that it hasn't seen in 10 plus years. But as the light comes in, you see it. To your shame, you see it, the, the dust and the grime. Likewise, we need to allow Jesus Christ into our hearts to shine and show the sin and the filth and the dirt. But wonderfully, he doesn't just leave it. Because he promises to all who come to him, he will clean, he will renew, he will cancel the debt. And all those who know that are those who love Jesus lots. See, the problem is we get mixed up. We think if we do more Christian things, we will win God's favor. No, 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 no. See, when we do that, we stop looking at Jesus. We stop seeing our spiritual debt. We stop seeing God's grace. And the Christian life becomes boring and a slog. Maybe this morning you're watching this and as I've been preaching, 
God's word and God's spirit has really challenged you this morning. That your love for Jesus is not what it used to be. The Bible warning, warns us in Matthew 24 verse 12 that the love of many will grow cold. And if that's you, because let me tell you, it can certainly be me. Can I urge you to bring your cold heart into the red hot furnace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Consider your debt. Consider the cross. See how much you are loved. So you recapture the love you had at first for Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. What's it going to look like if we love Jesus lots? Well, we can learn from this sinful woman here. We see her love, not in words, but in action. Do do you see that she doesn't care about what people think about her? I think that one of the greatest things that holds us back in our Christian walk is we're too worried about others. We have more the fear of man than the fear of God. So at school, I want to be with the in crowd that are doing the wrong things and keep a foot in the Christian camp as well. At university, I don't want to put my hand up and tell people that I'm actually a Christian. At work, I'll keep my head down when people use the Lord's name in vain. How much this woman teaches us what it is to live the Christian life. To be unashamed of the gospel. To pour forth our love for the lovely and wonderful Lord Jesus. She is unashamed. And then her love is emotional. She is overcome with tears. Now we're not very good with emotions. But I think we need to be more emotional about Jesus. Of course that will look different with different people. But we should feel moved by his love for us, by the sinfulness of our sin. We should grieve it. By the beauty of his holiness, it should strike us. By the wonder of his grace, it should blow us away. Then our love for Jesus was costly. That alabaster jar of perfume would have been very, very expensive. And I doubt that she would have been very well paid. But she brings the best thing that she has and he pours it out over Jesus' feet. See, loving Jesus will be costly. It will cost us time as we set aside time for him and time for others. It will cost us convenience as We spend time with others sharing the gospel. It may even cost us a marriage. As young men and women who are watching this, you decide that that guy who or woman is amazing looking, but they're not a Christian. You are, but they're not. You have to take that cost upon you, not to marry them, but to marry a Christian so that you can work together in your life might be even the cost of singleness. 
where you say, actually, I'm not going to marry that man or woman. I'm going to live a single life. And if that's what God calls me to, it's a costly call. It may cost us our ambitions as we put Christ above our career. Maybe even our children's careers. Parents, how would you feel if your child who gets set up for being the next neurological consultant, you've spent thousands upon them that have been studying for 10 years and then they tell you the next day, actually, I want to serve Christ and I want to go overseas as a missionary. Now, wonderfully, I can say I have seen such love in our church. But if you're anything like me, your love for Jesus will go up and down like a yo-yo. And I need you and you need me to keep our hearts warm in the love of Christ. We need each other to see our spiritual debt. We need each other to see the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. To challenge each other to love Jesus more. To count the cost. To count the convenience. To share with each other this message of God's love. Because here we are in respectable Waring's town of Donaclony. Where everything is keeping up with your neighbours. Where being decency is the key. Let's challenge that. Let's challenge that. And let's not let that hold us back from loving Jesus lots. Let's be all out. All out for him. Because he is all out for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We're going to sing a song in a little while, yet not I, but through Christ in me, which says, with every breath, I long to follow Jesus. Thank you for the wonderful picture that we have here in Luke's gospel of what that looks like. We pray by your grace, it might be said of us as individuals and as corporately as a church. Lord, may we see again your love, our spiritual debt, the cost of the cross. Oh, Lord, Warm our hearts again in the hot furnace of your gospel. For we have been forgiven much, Lord. Our spiritual debt that is huge is cancelled as we come to Christ in repentance and faith. And so may we love much for Jesus. May we love him and love his people and love the people you're calling into your kingdom. We pray this. For his glory's sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. We pray that this service has been an encouragement to you, a challenge and a help to build you up in your faith in Christ. We've now ended our church service and we'd be delighted if you can join with us again. Thank you for being with us in Donna Cluny Parish. God bless you.